going to be reading from Ecclesiastes, and we are beginning this book this summer. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, here is our text for today. I, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Every culture has its uh, proverbs that they learn. Uh, We could call them cultural proverbs. In fact, you probably, uh, just let let me demonstrate how well this works. Beauty is in the... No pain, no. Uh, All that glitters is not garbage in. Better late than, better safe than, out of sight, out of. Boy, culture has done a great job (laughs) of teaching. That was like 100% on that. Uh, They have borrowed some from the book of Ecclesiastes. Nothing new under the sun, all right? For everything, there is a time or a season. It's a song, a very well-known song. It comes right out of Ecclesiastes. Here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, This dates me a little bit. How many roads must a man walk down before he knows he's a man? It goes on and says, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Bob Dylan, what he was saying was, You just can't know the answer to a lot of questions in life. Solomon, we find this little phrase, you'll see it being used throughout the book, a striving after the wind. It's like finding answers to questions in life is like striving after the wind. I want you to do something this morning that might be very difficult uh, to varying degrees for us, but I want, you to just, I want you to just close your eyes this morning and I want you to try to imagine, I want you to just think this thought, and it'll be, it might be almost impossible for somebody to do this, but I want you to think this thought. Okay, I, I, I want you to think about your life. There's no God. No God. Just take God out of your life. Everything about God, everything you think about God, and I, I want you to, just your initial impression when I did that and I closed my eyes, the first thing I felt was everything became very impersonal. Uh, I have grown up believing there's a personal God who knows me, who loves me, who cares about me, who has purpose for me. When I think about no God, everything gets very impersonal. When I look at creation and trees, I think of God because I just, I mean, I know he put them there for us. You take God out, it's just a tree. And so, this is what Solomon's talking about for much of the book of Ecclesiastes. 
What would life be like if you just take God out of it and just life under the sun? That's how, that's a little phrase that he's going to use here. You know, you take God out. What do you got? You got a house, maybe a two-car garage, 2.5 kids, and, you know, the American dream, and a retirement fund to, to get you through to the end of your life. Stephen Hawking, who's a genius astrophysicist, uh, he, uh, he doesn't have God in his life, so here's his description of us. I quote, we are just a rare breed of monkeys on a minimal planet that we can understand, but we can understand the universe, so that makes us special. Um, I I feel we're special for a lot more than than that. Uh, When you take God out, everything becomes uncertain. Now, Now you can't be sure about anything anymore. Kurt Vonnegut, who, uh, he's a man, author that wrote Man With No Country, a number of, of other books. He was asked to speak at Harvard. This is what he said. They were asked to give his advice to the graduates. He said, I have no sure advice except that you should use sunblock, prefer, preferably SPS 30 or higher. Any other advice I can give you is uncertain. Now he's overstating the point, but the point is there, there's just a lot in life that we are uncertain of if God isn't a part of that. So here's Solomon. I'll just walk through it, and then I'm going to make a couple applications. <clears throat> I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. He says, look, I'm, I'm somebody. I've been king over Jerusalem, and he's going to talk about his knowledge and wisdom. This guy didn't climb the ladder of success. He started on the top rung, and he went up from there. Uh, he built cities. He built six different cities. I mean, he just took a, a chunk of ground and built everything to make a city. He was an uh, incredibly uh, rich man. He just had so many possibilities. He spent 13 years building his own house. Uh, they, they say his net worth in today's culture, would, he'd be around $100 billion uh, He was extremely well-educated, uh, today, he'd have a Ph.D. He traveled. He talked to people that nobody else had an opportunity to, to talk to. And so, he, he's gone all over. Look at verse 13. I've applied my heart to seek and to search. Seek means to go deep. Search means to go broad. There are two different words here. So, he says, I've looked broadly and I've looked deeply at everything there is. And Solomon said, I, I have all this knowledge about life all this experience, and here's my conclusion. He says in, in verse 13, he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, he's saying, it's just a lot of unhappiness in, in this life here as I look at it under the sun. Verse 14, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, all is striving after the wind. It's all striving after the wind. There's a, Leonard Wolf is a, he's a publisher and a political theorist, and he's written over 20 books on literature, politics, economics. It was just, I came across a quote of his, reflecting on all the work 
he's done in his life. And I want you to hear what he said. He said, I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as it is if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather humble confession that I must have in a long life ground through 150,000 to 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. Uh, you, could, you could put that right in Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> so that is what the conclusion here about life under the sun. It's full of questions. People, we have a, a love and a desire to answer questions and to search out knowledge. And, and, and Solomon says, I've been able to do that more than anybody. And you know what? There's no answers out there. Not in life under the sun. And so, you know, life's like an onion. You just you peel back one layer and you don't find it there. And you peel back another and you peel back another. And, and pretty soon there's, you get to the inside of the onion and you realize there's nothing, it's nothing left. It's just a bunch of peels. And all you've gotten is, is a bunch of tears. Description of, of, of life. Verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. And we've got more sophistication, uh, more knowledge of history, more technology, uh, more advancements on a lot of fronts, but we can't solve our problems. Everybody, we still have world at war. We've got terrorism that's rampant. We've got broken relationships in homes, families. We've got, we got more problems now than it seems like we've ever had. Solomon says, I look at this life and the things that are crooked, you can't straighten them out. It's like a, it's like a bent nail. You, you keep pounding on it and holding it up and you just can't get it straight. Or it's like when you're doing your checkbook. He says, what is lacking cannot be counted. He said, I, just, he said, I, I do the checkbook and I, just, I can't get it to add up. I cannot get life to add up. And so we see here that he comes to this conclusion and this confession, verses 16 and 17. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, I'm the most knowledgeable man on the face of the earth. And he said, not only that, Notice what he says, I've applied my heart to know wisdom and to know also madness and folly. He said, I threw wisdom to the side and just, you know, partied hardy and, and, and that doesn't work either. So my conclusion, it's all a striving after the wind. It's all like vapor. And he concludes, for in much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge... It just increased sorrow. You, you get all this worldly knowledge and it still doesn't answer the basic questions of life. So that's the text today that Solomon gives us. <clears throat> and so, what do we learn from this? What, what's important to learn? Here's what I think. Number one, again, Solomon is, is exposing life for what it's like under the sun. You know, if we were to accumulate today all the bad news in your lives, in this audience, there would be a lot of bad news. I mean, just in terms of sickness, illness, 
things happening, losing jobs, all that kind of stuff. Um, we live in a fallen world. You go back to Genesis 3. This is a, this is a fallen world we live in. And, and there's a lot of things that don't add up. You know, like why your kid gets sick and somebody else doesn't, or why, you know, a lot of, a lot of questions about life that we can relate to. And, you know, when we talk about life in the, under the sun, it doesn't make sense. And, and one of the points is this. Life is not supposed to make sense apart from God under the sun. If you ignore God or, or take him out of the question, life does not make sense, and it won't na- make sense, and it was never intended to make sense because God is very much a part of, of life. And so, again, we'll, we'll just keep coming back to this, but we kind of get a dose of reality of life under the sun every time we, we take another section here of the book. Secondly, ultimate wisdom and knowledge come from God. Ultimate wisdom and knowledge come from God. The man has a God-given desire to explore and to learn and to know things. And there's a certain amount of knowledge that man can achieve under the sun. I think what we need to learn from this is that the only way life is going to make sense is to find knowledge outside of ourselves. And so if somebody's an atheist or they just ignore God or, or God is just distant or they're not interested in, in reading about God's revelation to us through his word, then, then we don't have enough information to put the project together, so to speak. I put together one of those 8 by 10 sheds, you know, and uh, it had like 4,000 screws and bolts and... and uh, I, I did it a couple weekends ago at the farm. I mean, if you took five pages and ripped it out of that manual, I'd still be up there. And so, I mean, you, you take this out of life. You take God's revelation of wisdom out of life, and all I can say is good luck. You're going to come up with a lot of foolish conclusions. You're going to come up with a lot of frustration. Uh, you're going to come up with a lot of things that don't make sense. Ultimate wisdom comes from God. We don't have time to go through the whole text. But um, 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to go to, uh, I'm just going to go to this, this <clears throat> third point here. Uh, Christ is the wisdom from God. 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul says, where is the wise man? You know, where is the scholar? Has not God made the wise things? You know, there it is. Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since, through, since in the wisdom of God, the world, the world did not know him through its own wisdom. In other words, therefore, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks. And here it is. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is it. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Christ is the wisdom of God. How does that work? Where did everything come from? Let me just ask some basic questions. Where did everything come from? John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made through him. Christ. It all got here through Christ. Why am I here? 
I'm here to know the God that created me, and, and I'm, I'm here to know him through Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the true, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. I was created to live with the Father. It's through Christ that I come to him. My primary reason, your primary reason for getting up in the morning when you wake up, when, you, when your eyes open, you should think, you know what? My, my primary purpose today is to enjoy God. It's not to work. It's not to play. Those things are a part of our lives, but our primary purpose is to go through the day just enjoying a, a relationship that we have with the God who made us. Who am I? I'm a son or daughter of Christ. God is our mother and our father. As you know, God's not a sexual being. He's not male. He's not female. He exemplifies the fullness of female, male. In the image of God, we're made male and female. And so we have, a, in essence, we have a mother and father. When we're born again, God takes on that parental role. And so who am I? I'm a child of God. That's through Christ. What's my purpose? It's to know Christ and to make him known to people who are living under the sun like Solomon is talking about. Where is everything headed? Ephesians, to bring all things under one head, even Christ. What's going on in the world? God's bringing all things together and one day they're all going to be under Christ. You know, a seven-year-old girl who accepts Jesus, do you know that she is in many ways wiser than an astrophysicist who has no idea where he's going or why he's here, what he's doing, if, if he doesn't acknowledge God? And so we see here that this is the power, um, this is the power of living life not under the sun, but of opening your life and heart up to the wisdom of God and to that which is beyond the sun. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to show you, I'm going to conclude here with, a, with a, a, a testimony. And I just want you to hear this gal. It's just an interesting story, and I, I think she makes the point of the text today. This gal was an atheist. I want you to listen to her journey into Christianity and, and how it changed her life this morning. <clears throat> My name is Jennifer Fulweiler. I was a lifelong atheist, and I'm now a Christian. I write a blog called Conversion Diary. It's a chronicle of the ups and downs of what it's like to have faith after an entire life of being an atheist. I never believed in God, not even as a child. When my dad would come read books to me at night, I believe I was in fourth or fifth grade, and our nightly reading was Carl Sagan's Cosmos. <laughs> so I was very much raised on a diet of science and reason and evidence-based rational thought. You believe what you can prove. I believe that I have hands because I can see them. I believe in a black hole even though I've never seen one, but you know, science can tell us about the way matter moves around it that we can observe. And so this very rational worldview always made sense to me on a fundamental level. Before I got to the point that I could really start researching faith with an open mind, something had to happen. And for me, that occurred after my first child was born. I looked down and thought, what is this baby? And I thought, well, from a pure atheist materialist perspective, he is a collection of randomly evolved chemical reactions. And I realized if that's true, that all the love that I feel for him, that it's all nothing more 
in chemical reactions in our brains. And I looked down at him and I realized that's not true. It's not the truth. And I didn't know where to go from there, but that's what prompted me to start researching topics of spirituality. I got my books about Buddhism and, you know, and about every religion except for Christianity, basically. I assumed anything could be true except for Christianity. And my husband, who considered himself a non-practicing Christian, said, you might want to start with the one major world religion whose founder claimed to be God. After all, that's a really easy claim to disprove if it's not true. And I thought, well, that's a fair point. I was such a through and through atheist that I have to admit, I was ignorant of all these great Christian thinkers. What about Thomas Aquinas? <laughs> what about Augustine? What about Descartes? I mean, all of these great thinkers throughout history were not only theists, but Christians. And I was really surprised when I actually found these very intellectually rigorous books where people talked about their faith from a place of reason and not a place of emotion. And when I looked at evidence like that on the whole, I started to think something explosive, something world-changing happened in first century Palestine. You have this guy named Jesus who comes from a lower class region, gains a bunch of lower class followers, and ends up being executed by the Romans, and yet in droves you see thousands and thousands of Jews giving up these traditions that they had held dear for thousands of years. And the people who joined in on this new religion, there was no benefit for them. It was a persecuted religion. People who joined this religion didn't tend to work out too well. They tended to lose social status and often face death. But I wasn't yet you know, convinced and, and ready to become a Christian. And so I started a blog. I just threw out every hard question I could think of. I just put it all out there on the blog. And as I would watch the atheists and the Christians go back and forth and debate, I realized we atheists, we don't have the lock on reason that I thought we did. But what I saw with the Christians was they had that too. They had all the knowledge of science and material world that, that we atheists did. But yet they had the total picture of the human experience of love and triumph and hope. And, you know, they could articulate that in a way that the atheist couldn't. It wasn't until after I had made the intellectual decision to become a Christian that I think I finally believed it in my heart. When I set my pride aside and said, okay, I feel like I'm talking to myself, but Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I, I want to know you, even though I don't know how to go about doing that. This peace entered my life, this joy, the way my whole being was transformed. There was just no question that this is somebody real. I think that not only am I more alive uh, now that I'm a Christian, but I'm so much more intellectually alive. Finally, nothing is off limits. I can ask questions about science, but I can also ask questions about the spiritual world, and I'm free to really seek the truth. Great story. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, you've been so gracious to us to not relegate us to a life under the sun. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ in whom is so much wisdom. And uh, Father, your word challenged us today. I pray for anyone here who is uh, living life under the sun, who doesn't know Christ personally, does not know you personally. And uh, Lord, you are, you're continually uh, inviting people into relationship with you through Christ. We thank you for his work on our behalf. We thank you for the sin barrier that he removed through his death and his resurrection. And Father, today we, because of him and because of the opportunity we have to place our faith in him, we can be fully alive and uh, we can have the whole picture. And uh, Lord, we can seek knowledge in this world to its extent and we can also go way beyond through your wisdom that you've given to us. And so we just praise you for that today. Uh, Thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for everything that took place. We just remember our graduates today. We pray that you'd make them wise. We pray for these young children that we dedicated today. We pray that you would uh, make them wise. We pray for each one of us that we would uh, just find the fullness of your wisdom and uh, through Christ today. We pray this in, in his name. Amen. You are